You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. All right, so today, I don't think we're going to have time to get into some of the laughing at the enemy stuff. I do want to do that. I have already begun the process of gathering. But I want to go through and look at what PFF had to say. We went kind of quick through the preseason, and we'll probably pick up the pace on this with the PFF stuff later in the season. But this is the first game, and there's some probably some bigger takeaways. Maybe maybe overreactions, I don't know. But there's so many guys that we don't have answers on that we're getting our first regular season look at. And there's also going to be some controversial things within the grades, things that people are not going to like, one in particular. And I want to address that particular issue. There's probably several. There always is. But one in particular is going to upset some people. And I want to go through that. First of all, big picture view. As of right now, the New York Jets and Buffalo Bills, as of the time of my recording, have not played yet. With those two out, the Green Bay Packers overall are the fifth highest graded team. Now that doesn't have to mean anything, but just to be very clear, if you go back and look at any other year, 2022, 2021, 2020, whatever, doesn't matter, guess where the playoff teams are? They're at the top. It's just week one, we played a terrible opponent. All that stuff is true, but the reality is the destiny and the fate of this team comes down to consistency. You did it once. Nobody expected you to do it once. You did it once. You did it in spectacular fashion. The offense and defense and special teams, all three phases, were spectacular. Not perfect, but they were spectacular in their result. Far and away, the best NFC North team. The Detroit Lions rank 13th via PFF's overall grade. The Vikings... 16th, and the Chicago Bears 25th, and that's out of 30. Now, offensively, the Packers rank 17th. The defense really carries the team right now, which, listen, part of what I want to talk about today is the fact that although things aren't perfect, they're, they're, perfect is the wrong word, but they're falling in line with sort of the narrative that we talk about we as a, a general fan base, whether it's me or you or other people out there, in terms of like a, a decent baseline expectation for year one. Team effort, three phases, lean on the defense for once, things of that nature, right? The team coming together, as we'll talk about in the future, Jordan Love executing as essentially, although this may seem offensive, essentially as a game manager. Just take what's in front of you. Every single little tiny point we hit on. So the offense overall ranked 17th, third in the NFC North. The defense, however, ranked eighth highest, 
with Detroit coming in second at uh, 15th. 76.8 PFF grade. Surprisingly, the second highest grade was the Packers' run defense against what was last year the number one rushing team in football. So we can sit here and try to dismiss it and say they're a bad team. They weren't bad at everything. The Packers, after facing the number one rushing team, currently have the fourth highest run defense grade of any team. They're also the number one pass-blocking team. That shouldn't come as a massive surprise. I knew they'd be, you know, top five-ish. But they are two spots ahead of the Detroit Lions right now. And I'm sure much to the dismay of Chicago Bears fans, once again, as far as pass-blocking, if we look at the rest of the NFC North, um, the Bears are the lowest. But that was actually their second-highest grade on offense after running was pass blocking. Higher than their run blocking grade, higher than their receiving grade, higher than their passing grade. So I know they aren't going to like that, but it is what it is. And then on special teams, the Packers come in eighth. Now, I'm not going to pretend that the PFF is the be-all, end-all, but it is a tool. Just like EPA, just like DVOA, just like all these different things, they're just different data points that you can look at to get a general view. And as long as we understand what each one of these things represents, what they mean and what they don't mean, we can be fine. PFF when you're looking at grades, is in a weird way, kind of like a film breakdown without the film breakdown. It's not really advanced stats, even though that's how it gets treated. They do have advanced stats in here, but this is more of a a uh, a film breakdown. But instead of having like one-on-one film breakdowns for every single player, they just essentially send you a report. Here is the overall grade without really a breakdown. Now, if you look at the advanced stats, you can maybe figure out why the grade ended up what it was. But that's more or less what PFF is. I like to bring that up because a lot of the people that don't like PFF, their favorite thing to say is, just go watch the tape. That's what they do. (laughs) You might not like the result they come to, but that's what it is. All right, so that's the overall, not every single individual thing, but we don't need to go through every single individual thing. All right, let's take a look at the offense overall. Now, in reality, there weren't actually that many good grades. In fact, there were just five, and one of them was Royce Newman, who only played, played five snaps. So through that lens, it was really only four. Aaron Jones had a 71.3 grade. David Bakhtiari, 78.3. Romeo Dobbs, 78.4. Zach Tom, 85. 84.8, but I'm calling it 85. I, I, we'll get to these individual breakdowns, but I just got to get this off my chest. 83.6 pass blocking grade and an 83 run blocking grade. Freaking Zach Tom, dude. Yes, it's just week one, but freaking Zach Tom. Good Lord. As far as the bad grades, and I kind of struggle with this because there's a lot of, usually a lot of 50s, so I generally look at below 55 as being bad. Ben Sims, 54. Tucker Craft, 53. Dontavian Wicks, 47. Josiah DeGuara, 47. Josh Myers, 44. He was one of the bigger disappointments, uh, especially for me having defended the guy as at least a good pass blocker he was noticeably awful as a run blocker which usually he's not good but he's not usually that terrible and then on top of that his pass blocking was like mediocre you can't be garbage at run blocking and so so at pass blocking and keep your job i mean the the only excuse you get is you are a moderate run blocker and an elite pass blocker that's 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 the point at which i will step up and take the freaking flaming arrows for you josh myers this garbage no chance and I'll, I'll be honest, I am freaking tired of watching a run play get blown up, and I see Josh Myers flopping around on the ground like a fish. I'm sick of it. Sorry to tell you, Josh, but interior offensive linemen, 
as far as uh, other positions go or all the positions in the NFL, one of the easier ones to replace, especially for the Green Bay Packers who do a good job at finding offensive linemen. So week one, whatever, didn't see any botched snaps from you in particular. Maybe maybe one of them was. I don't I don't know. What was that, uh, the botched snap to uh, Sean Clifford? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'll blame Sean Clifford for that, who, by the way, was the lowest graded, probably because of the botched snap. But you, you cannot be the lowest graded player on this team, Sean Clifford aside, or on the offense. When, when we have this offensive line that is just pretty dominant across the board, you can't be that guy. Because we can go find any old bum off the street that can give me a 40 run blocking grade and a 67 pass blocking grade. We'll go get Lucas Patrick off of the Bears team, and, and Bears fans would happily give that guy up. We'll go get Lucas Patrick to do that. That's bullcrap. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a little extra heated because I spent so much time defending this guy, and he's making me look like a jagoff. So I'm not thrilled with that. The other somewhat mediocre grades will go from bad to good. Um, 55 grade goes to A.J. Dillon. Now, to be clear, his, the, the worst, he had an 81 pass blocking grade, which is fantastic. 39 receiving grade and then 57 rushing grade. Uh, Patrick Taylor had almost an identical grade. Then Malik Heath at 55. Yash Nyman, 59. Rashid Walker had a 60. And then Jordan Love at a 60.8. We'll get into that, but he had a 60.8. Elton Jenkins with just a 61. Obviously not what we expect from Elton Jenkins, especially considering he had a 52 pass blocking grade. Um, Jaden Reed with a 62.9. Another one that people are probably not going to be massively thrilled with as far as the grades go. John Runyon, uh, 63.1 grade. Uh, another one that's it's sort of not as bad as Josh Myers, but again... This has to be better. I mean, we went up against one of the worst defensive fronts in football. This should have been a time to just embarrass these guys. And overall, there wasn't a lot of pressure. But come on, man. Josh Myers and John Runyon are really good pass blockers. And to have a 67 from Josh Myers and a 68 from John Runyon, I hate the nitpick. But again, you can't suck at run blocking and also just be kind of eh at, at pass blocking and expect to keep your job. Um... Luke Musgrave with a 63, Samore Ture with a 67, we'll call it. So there you go. Those are all the grades. Why don't we start at quarterback? Because again, this is going to annoy some people. He had a 60.8 overall grade and a 57.7 passing grade, which is going to annoy even more people. I mentioned yesterday there was a lot of good, but there was also some bad like CPOE, completion percentage over expected. And this is the thing that PFF is going to be looking at. They're going to see a pass that should have been completed and wasn't. They're going to see open guys like that Musgrave throw, which again, yeah, Musgrave's kind of stumbling around and maybe that wasn't his fault, the first one. But I'm not 100% sure if that guy just stays on his horse and keeps running that that wasn't overthrown anyways. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Couple other things here. He had zero big time throws. That gets factored in. I mean, you, you can be efficient, but to be efficient with a relatively low completion percentage, even adjusted completion percentage, Zero big-time throws. In other words, mostly, even though the, the, the plays were there when you made it, they weren't necessarily hero ball throws. It was just, it was there and you took it. He also had one turnover-worthy play. So zero big-time throws, one turnover-worthy play, low completion percentage. He didn't throw to his, as many guys as were open, he didn't quite hit them all. These are some of the things that are going to factor in. And I, I want to look at how he compared in some of these metrics to some of these other quarterbacks. But look, I, I, I think overall... 
although I certainly thought the grade would be better, I didn't think the grade would be great. I kind of was thinking low 70s, high 60s. I didn't expect a 57 passing grade, especially when three of those were touchdown passes. That's a little weird to me, but it's their grading scale. In fact, I will probably go through and do my own grading. I'm not going to be able to maintain that all week. It is such a freaking grind. But just so I can kind of get a feel for these things, I do like to do that. And I'm very curious what my own takeaways from Jordan Love would be. And yes, the cricket is back. So welcome, Jiminy, back to the party. I've had numerous uh, comments about the old cricket is back, and uh, everybody's very excited about it. And so we just want to welcome him with open arms. Let's let's actually look at the uh, the quarterbacks here real quick. Jordan Love, in terms of completion percentage, not the most important thing in the world, but just so we're clear on this. Completion percentage, he ranked 23rd. His big-time throw percentage was 0%, so, I mean, that's, I mean, he, he technically ranked 18th because half the league didn't have any big-time throws, which is a little surprising. Um, his turnover-worthy play percentage was the 14th worst. If we flip this around, he ranked 17th. It was just the one, but, you know, as a percentage, that's not great. His adjusted completion percentage is actually even worse. He ranks 28th, and I, I really think this is probably the biggest thing when you rank 28th. And by the way, the only two guys who rank lower than him are Ryan Tannehill, who got a 51 grade, and Joe Burrow, who had a 45 passing grade. So Jordan Love getting a 57 when your adjusted completion percentage is this bad um, probably was accentuated by the fact that, yeah, the dude had three touchdowns and everything else. Otherwise, he would have been in the 40s or 50s. Again, that may not matter to you. You can create your own grading scale. I would probably grade it differently as well. But I'm just telling you that these are sort of the things that they're going to see. And based on their grading scale, again, it's not as much about big plays. It's about consistency. It's only a two-point scale. So a, a big touchdown play at best is two points. And then you miss like three throws, and that negates the big touchdown thing. You know what I mean? Uh, time to throw, if you you know see getting the ball out faster as being better, he ranked 16th. It's not entirely in your control, but it's just another metric. I'm actually stopping to yell at the cricket right now because he's being so loud. Jeez. I had the window open yesterday because apparently there was toxic gas in our house. I was like, well, I'll crack a window. I'm not going outside. And I think maybe they went from the outside to the inside. Shut it. Jiminy, would you be quiet? Shut up. That's better. All right. Good thing I have empty energy drinks around. Uh, deep passes. Adjusted completion percentage. He ranks 17th. Just 25%. He had a 44.7 grade on deep passing, which again, what are his two biggest issues that I said coming into this? Deep passing, he was one for four, and pressure. Jordan Love, out of 29 quarterbacks, ranks 29th with a 29.6 passing grade under pressure. Now, it was only six you know, plays, three attempts, one completion, 37 yards, but these are all things that happen. So you can do a lot of different things and come away with a lot of different thoughts on, um, on the grades and stats for Jordan Love. On one hand, you can be really impressed with his efficiency and his ability to take advantage of what's in front of him, to make all the right reads, especially considering we don't have Christian Watson. The offensive line, you know, aside from you know, about half the offensive line was ready to go, the other, well, the other three were not quite up to regular season form, the interior guys. You expect it's only going to get better. I think on the negative side of things, if you decrease or, or if you just say that the, the fact that they were successful on third downs, fourth downs, and red zone, and you just make that random, in other words, it's not all going to be skewed toward the most important plays. It's going to be sometimes first down, sometimes not, you know, third down's not going to be as impressive. Things go to zero pretty fast. 
because the only reason for the amount of success is because that they were efficient on, in all the right situations. And, and, and again, my two biggest concerns, deep passing and pressure, he ranked like dead last in both. Of course, that can improve. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just making the case for the fact that there were a lot of things that were great, but the things that weren't great tended to be kind of awful. Now, I'm not going to overreact to Jordan Love any more than Bengals fans should overreact to Joe Burrow or we should overreact to Elton Jenkins having a you know slightly off day. But I also want to be honest with what happened as opposed to just assuming that everything was perfect and will never be anything worse than that. There are still certain things that need to get cleaned up. But in the meantime, if we can just keep being efficient and kicking the crap out of people by just doing the right things at the right time until those things get figured out, I'm fine with that. By the way, some of the positives, and we went over them yesterday, right? I mean, certain by certain metrics, the guy was beyond dominant. But he is now seventh in the NFL in yards, third in the NFL in yards per attempt. He is tied for number one in touchdowns with only Tua Tungavailoa and Mac Jones. Both of those guys have interceptions, by the way. Jordan's the only one with three touchdowns and no interceptions. And he is number one in the NFL right now in NFL passer rating. This is this guy's first ever start. I'm, I'm not trying to be negative Nancy here. I'm just explaining where the 60 comes from. There is still, in my opinion, every reason to be overly excited to get this kind of performance in his first ever start. Bryce Young's first ever... I mean, I'm going to keep saying first ever start, by the way. I know that's going to annoy people. It is. He was not the starting quarterback. I know he technically started. That's not what I mean. I mean, this is his job. He is the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. It's his first start as the number one quarterback of the Packers. Bryce Young's first start, 31.4 PFF grade. He ranks 30th in the NFL. Anthony Richardson ranks 25th. CJ Stroud ranks 22nd. So there you go. All right, looking at the receivers, again, Romeo Dobbs is really the only one that kind of dominated here. Um, and even that, most people would probably assume is low. He had, um, well, I guess it was just 26 yards, but two touchdowns, and he had just a uh, 76.6 grade. Jaden Reed is another one. You would think he had a really good day, 48 yards and whatnot, but just a 65 grade. At the same time, he was two of five. And um, where are the, mm, says he didn't have a drop. I could have swore he did. Maybe they're blaming uh, Jordan Love for it. I don't know. But if we look at yards per route run, Aaron Jones obviously dominated at 5.38. Jaden Reed was second with 2.4, which is incredible. Luke Musgrave also at 2.08, which is great. Yards after the catch, obviously Aaron Jones dominates 42.5 yards after the catch per reception. A.J. Dillon actually quite high at 12. And then Jaden Reed at 9.5. Average yards after the catch per reception as a team is 10.2. Samori Turi actually led the team in average depth of target at 20.3, followed by Jaden Reed, who seems to be second in just about everything. Um, I think we went over most of this already. Um, yak per reception we did. Contested catch. Um, oh, here's, here's an area where Jaden Reed struggled. He was 0 for 3 on contested catches. Romeo Dobbs was 1 for 1. So we kind of talked about how Jaden Reed kind of has that Romeo Dobbs dog in him in terms of getting those 50-50 balls. He didn't do that in this game. Romeo Dobbs, though, one for one. I expect that to stay like that. Uh, passer rating, Aaron Jones, 135.4. Romeo Dobbs, 127.9. And Luke Musgrave, 116.7. All three of those incredibly high. Oh, and by the way, part of the issues for Duntavian Wicks, I forgot about that. The guy had two penalties in this game. He ran uh, 19 routes, zero catches on two targets, and had two penalties. 
In terms of snap counts, actually Luke Musgrave ran the most routes on this team at 24. So I I I I think that may have been not that I expect this necessarily to come down, but I do wonder if that has something to do with him being in a sense a Christian Watson replacement in terms of kind of taking that role of trying to stretch out the defense. Cuz when you're when, when you're saying he's more vital to be out there to run routes than Romeo Dobbs and Jaden Reed. That kind of says something. After the top two guys, Dontavian Wicks actually led with 19, followed by Samore Ture with 12, and then Malik Heath with just nine routes. One target, zero receptions for Malik Heath. So again, a lot of the hype about Malik Heath maybe being the guy so much. Dontavian Wicks barely practiced because he's been injured. He got thrust into that uh, next man up role. Samore Ture following behind that, and then Malik Heath. And this is all behind the uh, tight ends and uh, running backs as well. Running backs, Aaron Jones, very surprised actually at the fact that he didn't just have like a 99 grade. I, I thought for sure that was going to be the case. I'm not entirely sure what he could have done much better, but just a 71.3 grade, 75.2 rushing grade, 56.4 receiving grade, which again, I know it's the PFF isn't like a big play thing, but it is weird considering the damage he did in the air <laughs> to not be graded higher, but um, yards after contact, Jordan Love led with seven, followed by Aaron Jones with 2.67. Actually, excuse me, Patrick Taylor, 3.8. Aaron Jones, 2.67. A.J. Dillon was the lowest at two. That's your number one role, A.J. Dillon. You're that guy. You're the guy that breaks tackles. You're not supposed to go down with freaking ankle tackles, dude. Um, missed tackles forced, forced missed tackles. Jordan Love had three which is quite impressive, followed by Aaron Jones with two, A.J. Dillon and Patrick Taylor with one each. Longest carry of the day was Patrick Taylor with 10 yards, another surprising stat. Another thing that's kind of surprising, they seem to run gap more so than, in fact, they did. They ran gap 17 times in zone 12 times. I wonder what the purpose for that is. This is obviously a zone running team. I wonder if that could have contributed to some of the issues with running. I don't know. But Dylan led the team with uh, nine gap runs and four zone runs. Obviously, that didn't work to his benefit. Aaron Jones was five gap runs compared to four zone. Doesn't seem to matter super much what you ask him to do. And then Patrick Taylor was the one that ran more zone than gap with three to compare to two. Elusiveness grades, they actually have Patrick Taylor at the uh, the highest at 76. Aaron Jones, 48. A.J. Dillon, 26. Then finally, we get to the offensive line. David Bakhtiari had a really good day, 78.3 overall, an 89.9 pass blocking grade. The guy is just, he just will not stop, man. I, I question his ability to stay healthy, but I hope he can do it because he's just one of those guys. I mean, it's funny how offensive linemen can do this, and it really, I think, just comes down to the fact that it's really more of a, obviously, you need some level of, of uh, athleticism and whatnot, but I think there are guys that are just pure technicians because there are guys who are dominant. And it just seems like they don't seem to age out of it. You see those guys are 36, 37, 38, and they just remain elite. I genuinely think David Bakhtiari could keep doing this as long as his body can hold up. And I, I again, I question how long his body can hold up, and I question how long he wants to do this. He, he may kind of get tired of it. I'm sure his body has taken an absolute beating. He's made a fantastic living. I'm sure he'd be happy to ride off into the sunset. But I, I just, he's just a technician, man. 89.9 pass blocking grade. Run blocking was 68.6, which isn't elite, but for a Packers offensive lineman, getting basically a 70, I would be uh, more than happy with that. 
Left guard Elton Jenkins, again, definitely not his best day. A 52.9 pass blocking grade. He had the lowest pass blocking grade on the team. He did give up one hurry in this game. It was uh, one of just two pressures given up by this team. The other one by John Runyon will get there. But he also had a 61.8 run blocking grade. So Elton was a little slow last year to kind of pick things up. We'll see hopefully by week two or maybe week three. I don't know. He'll kind of get back into the rhythm of things. We know how good this guy is, and um, we may have dodged a bullet by playing the Bears because if you play like that, and that goes for the entirety of the interior offensive line, all three of them are great pass blockers. None of them really showed up. If this was a team that actually had a halfway competent interior defensive line, we might have been in trouble. Um, at center, again, run blocking 40 for Josh Meyer, 67 for uh, pass blocking. Runyon, 60 run blocking and 68 pass blocking. Not the worst in the world. It's it's a close to a John Runyon game, I mean, to be completely fair. If that went from a 68 up to a 75, I would have said that's exactly a John Runyon game. But it was lower than it should have been. And then, again, Zach Tom, who is our highest-graded offensive lineman, second-highest-graded pass blocker at an 83.6 but a run-blocking grade of 83. Now, granted, he's probably going up against guys like Yannick Ngakwe, who are just putrid run-blockers. But that is still a fantastic job for Zach Tom. Great start for him. Although he has shown to be a good offensive lineman, it's still a small enough sample size that I came into this season with question marks. And there's still question marks for a lot of these guys. I still don't know if Josh Myers is going to do it. I don't know if John Runyon's the guy. I'm going to have questions about Zach Tom, but he is certainly standing out. Had some backups in. Yash Nyman played five snaps at right tackle. Um, all of them run blocking. He had a 58.4 run blocking grade. Royce Newman played five snaps at left guard. Um, all of them run blocking. 68.3 grade. And then the one and only Rashid Walker came in for David Bakhtiari at left tackle. Um, played five snaps there. 71 pass blocking grade. 58 run blocking. Anyways, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and look at the defense. Again, please remember to check out OldSouthernBBQ.com at OldSouthernBBQ.com. Shouldn't have said .com the first time. There's just the one website, and it's the BBQ one. I have not yet received my uh, my gift box, but I am very excited to give you all kinds of glorious reports <laughs> about each one of these things, each one of the sauces, and each one of the rub. I've already told you that, that my, all four of the barbecue sauces are phenomenal. There were two. One of them, I know which one one of them was. I'm not sure which one of the other two was was it. And also the, um, what's it called? Beef and butter, I think. is. I'm, I'm not big on beef rubs, but I really do like beef and butter. Again, that's the one that I had mentioned before. The only time in my life that my wife, who was a vegetarian, asked for seconds. She's usually cool enough where if I make meat, she's, she's excited that I'm excited about stuff. Making meat is my hobby. So she pretends to be excited. Like, oh yeah, I'd like to try some. Only time ever ever, ever in our 10 years together that she said, can I have a second piece? I made a beef tenderloin and I used the beef and butter rub. Literally good enough to convert vegetarians. So if you're only going to get a rub and if you make a decent amount of beef, I especially like to use it on, on roasts like loins and uh, any of the other kind of roasts that you might make. It's a great rub. It's exactly what it says that it is. It's, a, it's, a, uh, it's what you would expect from beef rub, but it's, it's actually buttery. And I don't know how to explain a butteriness in a rub, but it is. And it's glorious. And I can't think of a better rub for Packers fans than one that is infused with butter. Maybe a cheese one. I don't know. But butter's fantastic. Please check them out. OldSouthernBBQ.com. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. 
We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Well, the hero of the day was defense. This is where the majority of our solid grades came in. As we'll start with the bad grades. Again, I like to go below 55, kind of an arbitrary line. First of all, and again, this is another one that people are not going to like, but I think it's one that we're all going to tolerate. It's one of the ones that you look at and go, oh, he had a bad day? That's cute. If he has a bad day like that every day, I'm fine with it. But it's Carl Brooks. Carl Brooks had three pressures and a sack on 20 attempts. That is fantastic. By the way, the pass rush in this game is probably as good as I've ever, ever, ever seen it. And you could say, yeah, well, it's the Bears. We played the Bears twice last year. We never did something like this. I looked at every single game last year. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Never have we had 36 pressures and five sacks, which is what we got in this game. 36 pressures. The highest I found last year was 29. We had seven more pressures in this game than any game last year. That's unfreaking believable Carl Brooks was a big part of that. His first game, the biggest reason, honestly, was his run defense. They gave him a 48.2 grade. Kind of expected that coming in. I, 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 I sort of expect Wooden and Brooks to be better pass rushers than run defenders, although for Wooden, that wasn't exactly the case in this game. But I'm, I'm, I have zero complaints. It's, it's honestly the same as, as Jordan Love. Well, he, he had a 54 grade, Carl Brooks did, so he wasn't that good. Listen, I don't care. I was, I was happy with what he did in this game based on where he is as a player in the NFL, period. Um, in his games with a 52.3, he only played five snaps, and one of them was killing Darnell Mooney. Again, very happy with his performance. 
Third lowest is Rudy Ford. There were two guys on the field that I watched that I was not happy with. One of them was Rudy Ford. Really not surprised to see this grade. Um, He actually graded out okay in run defense, 68-8, but a 32 tackling grade, 59 pass rush, and a 53.8 coverage grade. Um, At 22nd was Isaiah McDuffie. I didn't notice him at all, so I don't have a comment on that, but there you go. And then dead last was the guy that I kind of ranted and raved about, Keyshawn Nixon. I thought he was terrible. I, I, I don't even think this grade is bad enough. His run defense grade should be a two. I'm begging you. If you're, if you're going to go back and watch the tape, if you're going to go back and rewatch the game, please keep an eye on Keyshawn Nixon and tell me I'm not crazy. The guy just stood there, refusing to tackle anybody, ever. I've never seen someone play so scared in my life. Completely unacceptable from Keyshawn Nixon. Anyways, here are the quote-unquote mediocre grades, and there actually aren't that many of them because there's so many good grades, and I'm actually going to round up a couple of these. Um, from lowest to highest, Jonathan Owens, 57.3. Justin Hollins, 58-7. Kingsley and Igbare, 59-5. Lucas Van Ness, 60.8. Dallin Levitt, 64.6. TJ Slayton, 67.3. I'm going to round the rest of these up. These are all the good grades, and there are 12 of them. Out of 22, more than half the team. Carrington Valentine, 69 PFF grade. Colby Wooden, 69-7. Call it a 70. Devondre Campbell, 70.6. Jair Alexander, 70.7. Kenny Clark with a 70.8. Very glad to see that. Eric Wilson, who I did notice had a good day just on his 10 snaps, but he was noticeable. 71 PFF grade. Preston Smith with a 72.3. Darnell Savage, 72.3. Stop the count. Razul Douglas, 75.7. Then we get into the big boy numbers. Devontae freaking Wyatt with an 82.5 PFF grade. Rashawn Gary with an 83.4 PFF grade, and then the one and only Quay Walker with a 92.1 PFF grade. We're going to get into the breakdown of those, but those were the three big time names. And I just, the fact that two of these guys are second year players, and Devontae Wyatt in particular being a guy that was coming on strong at the end of last year, I could not be happier because a big part of our defense taking a step is having these guys take big second-year leaps because we took some big swings last year. And Quay Walker was mediocre. I mean, his coverage was fine. His coverage was actually quite good. And by the way, that's where he dominated in this game. A pick six obviously factors in, but he had a 92 coverage grade. Good Lord. But Devontae Wyatt was certainly subpar. And for him to come through with an 82.5 out of the gate, and we'll look at some of the overall grades and where these guys stack up, but really impressive stuff. Um, Looking at run defense, the guys that struggled, Kingsley and Igbare, 55. That was a reason for his low grade. Keyshawn Nixon, 53. Carl Brooks, 48. And Lucas Van Ness had the lowest at 46. Again, that's the reason for his. Because, we, again, we look at Lucas Van Ness like, dude, he had a great day. Carl Brooks had a great day. Kingsley had a great day. The run defense struggled. Even their pass rush grades, honestly, weren't that good. But the numbers will be fine, I promise you. The guys that excelled in run defense. Again, I'm going to kind of round up. Colby Wooden, 68. Rudy Ford, 68. Devondre Campbell with a 71. Devontae Wyatt, 72. I freaking love that. The fact that the guy is a really good pass rusher, his stats are going to freaking blow your mind, but still had a 72 run defense grade, basically. Quay Walker with a 72 run defense grade. Need that. Razul Douglas, 76. Doesn't surprise me at all. He played with his hair on fire. TJ Slayton with a 79. Absolutely need that. Again, I don't expect much as a pass rusher, but he is our one big man on the inside, so for him to come through in the clutch as a run defender is huge. Darnell Savage is the second highest with an 80.2. 
And then Preston Smith with an 81.4. And this is kind of where this guy makes his money. His pass rush grade was actually low, even though his stats are not bad. But, um, I mean, look, look, when Preston came over, he was a decent pass rusher that really can set an edge. And then he kind of lost that along the way and just became like, I hope he can rush the passer because he's not the greatest run defender. If he can stick with this run defense the way that he's did in this game and presumably get even better with his pass rush, we're going to be in a good way. And by the way, these, these are sort of, if we can pause for a moment, the heroes of the day. Again, this was the number one rushing team last year. Yes, Justin Fields a part of that. So what? The team as a whole dominated on the ground, and these are the guys that stood tall. Colby Wooden, Rudy Ford, Devondre Campbell, Devontae Wyatt, Quay Walker, Razul Douglas, TJ Slayton, Darnell Savage, Preston Smith. They're the ones that shut down what this team does best. Tackling the guys that struggled, um, Keyshawn, Quay, Rudy Ford, Devontae Wyatt, Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary. Pretty much everybody else is in the 70s. I mean, it's you either have a good grade or you have a bad grade. Pass rush, the only bad grade was Jair Alexander, who gives a crap, and we saw that, right? You know exactly what play that was. It was one play. He came screaming off the edge, and Justin, I mean, he's going to bring down probably 31 quarterbacks in the NFL. The only one he's probably not going to be able to get down would be Justin Fields. The guys that did grade out well, um, Lucas Van Ness, Devontae Wyatt, Kenny Clark, and Rashawn Gary, and nobody had elite, elite pass rush grades. Grades, pass rush grades are never really that high because again, the grades are about consistency. When you look at the stats, the stats are great. And sometimes you see great stats and not great um, grades. And that's just because on a play-to-play basis, did you win? And the guys that were consistent had good grades. The guys that weren't, but you know, see, it's like bad, bad, bad sack. They had bad grades and great stats. Coverage, um, Rudy Ford, Ennis Gaines, Isaiah McDuffie, Keyshawn Nixon are the, are the ones that struggled in coverage. The guys who had good grades, Devondre, 72.6, Jair, 74.6, Razul, 78.2, and Quay, 91.7. I mean, that's exactly what we need. I'd love to see our safeties get involved in that. But at the end of the day, our top two corners locked it down, and our two linebackers locked it down. That's awesome. All right, let's take a peek at the pressures, the statistics in general. As I said, 36 pressures, so this is going to take a little while. Number one guy in pressures was Devontae Wyatt. Let me get my calculator out because this needs to be, um, that's a really big calculator. This needs to be, uh, we need numbers on this. Devontae Wyatt had six pressures, which included two sacks and four hurries on just 22 attempts. That is a 27% pressure rate. For those of you that are new here, I have sort of a general rule of thumb. It's something that I made up, but it's just from having looked at the stat long enough to get a general feel for what's good and what's not. Anything below 10% is not good. The general, like, he's a decent to good pass rusher is between 10 and 12%. That's where it's like, all right, that's fine. Above 12%, you're getting into that. That was a really good, you know, really good performance. 13, 14, 15 kind of percent. 13, 14-ish. When you get up around 16, 17, 18, this is like, when you're looking at season long, this is, nobody does this consistently. This is, Rashawn Gary did it once. Some people do it once. You get like 17, 18%. It is elite, elite, elite. This is 27%. Now, it's just a game, but just to give you a gauge of how elite that is, this is more than double a very good pressure rate. Okay, moving on now. Lucas Van Ness was tied for second with five pressures, which included a sack and four hurries on 24 attempts. It's too bad we had so many elite pass rushers because I'd love to be excited about Lucas Van Ness having a 21% pressure rate in his first ever game, which is unbelievable unbelievable again everybody has like a game like this but this is week one and for this to be his first game to get a 21 percent pressure rate including a sack is otherworldly 
Then we get to probably the most impressive of anybody, and that is Rashawn Gary. He only rushed the passer. Again, we knew he was going to be on a pitch count. Ten times. He got pressures five times. And in fact, it was actually six, but one of them got called back. So it was, it was really six out of 11, with a sack included. If we view it as six out of 11, that is a 55% pressure rate. If it's five out of 10, we could probably figure out the math roughly, let's call it 50%. If we're, if we're going to round, that's a joke. I know it's 50%. I know there's people out there like, this idiot is 50%. <laughs> I know, dude. I'm freaking kidding. 50% pressure rate. Rashawn Gary is, is just such an unbelievable freak. I mean, he, he is... It, we heard a lot of people make the claim that last year, this, this essentially the defense was built around Rashawn. And, and you know, I know uh, Clayton's talked about it. I talked about... Uh, I forget the guy's name. I never remember his name, but he's, uh, he's actually a Bears fan. He does a lot of the... He's like the, the godfather of film breakdowns on YouTube. Um, but he talked about how this defense was built around Rashawn Gary, and when they lost Rashawn, that kind of threw everything into into a death spiral. You can see it. I mean, I, I I really think as Rashawn goes, so goes the defense. Pending a bunch of injuries, I mean, as long as they're relatively healthy, if the guys around them can just do their job, and then you have Rashawn Gary, I I, I just I it I, I he's not going to maintain a fifty percent pressure rate. But good lord, that's so stupid. You know how rare it is for a guy to even get five pressures in a game. He did it with just 10 attempts. Continuing, Colby Wooden and Kenny Clark both had four, and they both had roughly the same amount of snaps. Actually, Colby Wooden had more pass rush snaps than Kenny Clark. He actually had almost the same amount of snaps. 36 snaps for Colby Wooden, 38 for Kenny Clark. You want to talk about a really healthy rotation. That's pretty wild, man. But Colby Wooden, four pressures, all four of them hurries, 15.4% pressure rate. That is up in the... Very good, bordering on elite category. Kenny Clark is exactly at 16%, including a sack, a hit, and two hurries. The incredible day from Kenny Clark as, as, as a pass rusher in particular. Again, second highest pass rush grade after Rashawn Gary. But we're not done, are we, Jiminy? No, we're not. Then we get to Carl Brooks. Carl Brooks just had a lowly three pressures. Oh, you stupid loser. Three pressures, including a sack and a hurry on just 20 attempts, which is 15% on the nose. As far as I'm concerned, statistically speaking, that is a very good bordering on elite game. Preston Smith had three pressures on 21 attempts. We'll call it, I don't know, 14.9%. I'm not putting that in. Justin Hollins had just two pressures, but it was on 18 attempts. That's 11.1%. If it wasn't for everybody else being so dominant, I would have said Justin Hollins had a really good day. He's at 11%, and he basically sucked compared to everybody else. <laughs> Justin Hollins, I'll, I will take that any day of the week. Kingsley is one of the ones that, um, really the only one that you could say had a bad day as a pass rusher statistically. You could also say it about TJ Slayton, but again, I don't have aspirations for him as a pass rusher. Kingsley and Igbare had just one pressure on 27 attempts. That's 3.7%. Those are nose tackle numbers. Speaking of nose tackle, TJ Slayton, one pressure on 24 attempts. 4.2% nose tackle numbers. Nose tackles, you, you see a lot of like 5%-ish. They're just bad pass rushers. So I'm not upset about TJ Slayton being at 4%. I mean, it's not great. I'd like to see something better than that. But as long as his uh, run defense grade is an 80, I couldn't give a crap, especially when we have... Um, Justin Hollins, Preston Smith, Carl Brooks, Kenny Clark, Colby Wooden, Rashawn Gary, Lucas Van Ness, and Devontae Wyatt. L let me get an average between these guys here real quick, because I just, I just got to see this. 
Oh, and let me just, uh, let me finish this, by the way. Jair Alexander had one pressure on one attempt. Eric Wilson, one pressure on one attempt. That's 100%. I'll exclude them from this list here. So between the guys that had good days, if we look at Justin Hollins, Preston Smith, Carl Brooks, Kenny Clark, Colby Wooden, Rashawn Gary, Lucas Van Ness, and Devontae Wyatt, they accounted for 32 pressures on 166 attempts. 19.3% pressure rate. We have a 20% pressure rate across eight pass rushers as an average. Good Lord. That's some wild stuff, man. If we look at the uh, couple other pass rush metrics here, pass rush productivity, this is actually a really good metric that I don't utilize enough. Essentially what it does is it says, okay, here's how many total pressures you got, and pressures matter. But obviously um, hits matter more than hurries and sacks matter more than hits, so we're going to kind of weight them differently. If you look at it from that standpoint, obviously Jair and Eric Wilson are at the top because they their pressure rate was you know, 100%. But Rashawn Gary had a 27.8. Devontae Wyatt, 18.2. Lucas Van Ness, 13. Carl Brooks, 10.5. Kenny Clark, 10.4. We'll, we'll, we'll compare that against the rest of the NFL in a minute, but just for reference, that's where they're at. And when you compare it to the fact that Jair had a 100% pressure rate and Rashawn Gary had more than half of that number, that's pretty wild. Win percentage. Rashawn Gary had a win percentage, which is just beating the guy across from you. 44.4%. Honestly, I don't know how it's possibly that low considering his pressure rate was 50%. I don't know how you lose and pressure a guy, but he did. Lucas Van Ness, 17.4. Again, this seems to be consistent across a lot of these. Carl Brooks, 15.8. Devontae Wyatt, 13.6. Kenny Clark, 12.5. Justin Hollins, 11.8. I, I, I'm honestly guessing that a lot of this just has to do with um, Justin Fields. You didn't necessarily beat the guy across from you, but you got a pressure because Fields either held onto the ball all day or was scrambling around, which is not the the offensive tackles fault so they actually had more pressures than they had wins which i've never seen before but it actually makes sense if you think about it because generally speaking the first thing that you do is you beat the tackle or the guard or whatever the second thing you do if you're able to is to get to the quarterback either as a hurry or if you're able to touch him as a hit or if you're actually able to bring him down with the ball as a sack but that's sort of the order of things it's win then hurry then hit then sack in this case if you're facing the bears you might actually get more pressures than you do wins, which is freaking hilarious. But again, it goes to the Bears' offensive line is not as bad as a lot of people are going to say. They're going to look at all the sacks. They're going to look at all the hits and hurries and, and everything else. They're going to say, this offensive line is terrible. And in reality, Justin Fields is a major part of the problem. Which brings us to true pass sets, which actually throws out a good portion of that stuff. If I'm not mistaken, they throw out... Um, Things like where the quarterback holds onto the ball too long. They also throw out things like if you're double teamed and they just look at one-on-one -on -one normal drop back passing situations. In those situations, Devontae Wyatt had five pressures on 14 attempts. So that's freaking incredible. Rashawn Gary had five on nine attempts. So even slightly better. Kenny Clark is three pressures on 12 attempts. Colby Wooden, two, uh, Wooden and Carl Brooks both had two pressures on 13 pass rush attempts. Preston Smith had two pressures on 12 attempts. Lucas Van Ness had one pressure on 11 attempts. Uh, he was the one that probably got hurt the most by, if you actually look at true pass sets, because he went from five pressures and 24 attempts to one pressure on 11 attempts. So he went from like 20% down to 10%, which would mean, number one, getting there after the quarterback has the ball for a long time. Number two, catching the quarterback as he's scrambling. Which is still a good play, but again, it's not 
necessarily just beating the whooping the guy across from you and getting to the quarterback in the pocket. Meaning, if you have a normal situation with a quarterback dropping back and getting rid of the ball in 2.5, 2.75, how, whatever second the cutoff is, normal seconds, there's potential that Lucas Van Ness is not going to have as good of a game. Anyways, getting back to the uh, general statistics here, we looked at the tackles and stuff yesterday. Missed tackles. We had uh, 10 missed tackles in this game. We had two missed tackles by Keyshawn Nixon, two by Rudy Ford. That was followed by one from Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, Jair, Rashawn, Devondre Campbell, and Kenny Clark. Looking at that in terms of missed tackle percentages, Rashawn Gary missed 100% of his attempts. He had one attempt and missed it. Uh, Wyatt and Clark were at 50%. Rudy, 28.6. Jair, 25. Keyshawn, 22. Quay, 20. And then uh, the only other one was Devondre at 12.5. Stops, which are tackles that are a negative play for the offense. Keyshawn Nixon had three, so I guess that's good. I sure didn't see it. Darnell had three. Razul had three. Really impressive, actually. Stops. Getting three stops in a game is a lot, and we had four guys that did it. The other was Preston Smith. Then Van Ness, Walker, Wyatt, and Campbell each had two. Then we got a bunch of guys with. There were twenty-eight stops in this game. Good lord, that's a big number. I don't. I don't think I've ever seen one that big. Colby, Carl Brooks, T.J. Slayton, Carrington Valentine, Jair Alexander, Justin Hollins, Innis Gaines, and Kenny Clark each had a stop. Craziness. Uh, Wyatt and Clark forced a fumble. And then finally, looking at coverage statistics, the most targeted was Keyshawn Nixon. Eight targets, seven receptions, 60 yards, and a touchdown. 137.5 when targeted. Very not good. Quay Walker, four targets, three receptions, 32 yards, and a pick six. I'll take it. Razul Douglas, who is, I think, the second highest graded coverage guy. Four targets, just two receptions, 11 yards, and a pass breakup. That's glorious. Darnell Savage, three targets, two receptions, 28 yards. Rudy Ford, three targets, two receptions, 26 yards. Devondre Campbell, three targets, two receptions, 12 yards. Jonathan Owens, two targets, two receptions, 21 yards. Isaiah McDuffie, two targets, two receptions, 13 yards. Jair Alexander, two targets, one reception, four yards, and a pass breakup. That's about as good as you can expect. Ennis Gaines, two targets, zero receptions. That would be slightly better. Uh, No pass breakups, though. Eric Wilson, one target, one reception, five yards. So of that group, nobody gave up more than 50 yards except Keyshawn Nixon, who gave up 60. Nobody gave up a touchdown other than Keyshawn Nixon. Nobody gave up more than five receptions or even more than three receptions other than Keyshawn Nixon, who gave up seven. So pretty much across the board, it was a great day outside of Keyshawn Nixon. I mean, the second worst had to have been Darnell Savage, who was three targets, two receptions, 28 yards. That's like the second worst performance, and that's not bad at all. I mean, it maybe would have been Quay if not for the pick six, but there was a pick six. But he only gave up 36 yards. And then as far as penalties, Ennis Gaines, TJ Slayton, um, Devondre Campbell, Razul, Rudy Ford, and Jair Alexander all had penalties. Certainly got to clean that up. Why don't we take one more quick break? We'll take a look at special teams, as well as looking at where our guys stack up with the rest of the NFL as of week one, excluding the Monday night game, which I don't even know if that's going to happen now. Apparently there's storms and shelter in place and all kinds of craziness. Anyways, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. All right, folks, special teams. We've got uh, usually the way special teams work, by the way, you got a bunch of players. In this case, it's... uh, I'm looking at the wrong team. It is 36 players. 
And what you have is almost everybody's at exactly 60, and then you'll have like one or two bad players and one or two decent to good players. Since last year, when we got Rich Bisaccia, that has changed. We went from having maybe, maybe one guy at like a 69 grade to having, depending on where you want to cut off, we've got about seven with 68s or higher. Four guys in the 70s, which never used to happen. The only bad grade, unfortunately, was long snapper Matt Orzich. And, and I don't know what happened the entire time, but I think we all saw that field goal snap being real high. Other than that, there was Darnell Savage with a 53, and then it jumps up to 56, Eric Wilson, which is surprising for Wilson, and I fully ex- expect him to bounce back. In fact, he had a tackle, and he had a beautiful tackle. I don't know what he did so wrong to piss off BFF, but I, I don't really care. The good grades, at least decent to good, uh, 65 for Isaiah McDuffie, 66.6 for Justin Hollins, which, by the way, that would maybe like one guy would have like a 65 in the past. Josiah DeGuaro with a 68, which he needs that because the dude is just slipping. I mean, Musgrave clearly is the number one. Kraft is is hopefully going to work his way up. I mean, I need something from Josiah, man. I'm trying not to give up on that that whole train, but it's going off a cliff, and I might need to jump soon. Carrington Valentine with a 68.7. Kingsley and Igbari with a 69.6. Keyshawn Nixon, not even including his kickoff grade, had a 71. He had a tackle on top of everything else. Patrick Taylor, special teamer, as we know, 75 or 74.4 PFF uh, special teams grade. Tucker Craft had the second highest grade at a 76.3. And then number one was Jonathan Owens at a 77.9. Again, let me reiterate, this is better than what I'm used to seeing from a Green Bay Packers special teams unit. Now, granted, we're talking back when like the Packers were dead last in the NFL, but still... It's a it's a welcome uh, it's a welcome thing to see. Our return grades, surprisingly, our highest return grade guy is Jaden Reed. Just on kickoff returns, Jaden Reed had a sixty one point two grade. Keyshawn Nixon fifty uh, fifty eight point eight. Nixon had his two returns fifty five yards, twenty seven point five average, which is fine. But the punt returns is where Jaden Reed had his seventy point five grade. Three returns, fifty four yards, thirty five being the longest, eighteen yards per attempt. All right, so just a real quick update on where our guys kind of stack up week one. Very early, a lot of outlier stuff. We already looked at Jordan Love and where he stacks up on everything. Just some quick highlights. At wide receiver right now, looking at just receiving grade, Romeo Dobbs ranks 10th in the NFL, actually ahead of Devontae Adams. (laughs) Devontae's getting off to a slow start. I'm sure he will skyrocket very soon here. Luke Musgrave has some climbing to do. He ranks 23rd among tight ends, although... And actually, let me go back one more time to uh, Jaden Reed so we can get an idea of these, some of the stats. I don't mean Jaden, uh, uh, Romeo Dobbs is one of just five receivers. He, he is tied for number one in the NFL in touchdowns. Tyreek Hill, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, Brandon Ayuk, and Romeo Dobbs are the five receivers with two touchdowns so far. Luke Musgrave, although his PFF grade is not massively high, actually is second in the NFL in receiving yards. So we talk about production and that rookie receivers don't necessarily produce. Again, I don't buy that. I think generally tight ends don't produce. And I think if you actually look at it, the the heavy receiving, basically wide receiver type tight end, those guys do tend to produce. And the fact that there was a bunch of production left on the field, Luke Musgrave should have had 100 yards and two touchdowns. He ended up with 50 yards. That's only going to go up. I'm not saying he's going to lead the NFL in anything, but the odds that this guy is not quite high in terms of total production 
at least in yards. I can't, I mean, touchdowns is a whole separate thing. I mean, if he, he'll probably get a one or two big breakaway touchdowns. I don't know how good of a red zone guy he's going to be. Again, that's sort of its own thing. And they're so good, especially with Romeo Dobbs. I, I, I just don't know. But I think from a yardage standpoint, there's a very good possibility Luke Musgrave is at least top 10 in tight end receiving yards. Again, he's already number two, and he should have been by far number one. He has 50 yards. Hunter Henry has 56. And he's sixth in yards per reception at 16.7. Aaron Jones right now ranks as the 10th best running back based on rushing grade. 13th as far as his overall grade. Obviously, statistically, as far as the uh, rushing yards and everything else go, not going to be massively impressive. Um, 24th in terms of yards. However, he did get the one touchdown, which puts him in the top 15 as far as touchdowns, because obviously not a ton got touchdowns so far. He is, not surprisingly, number one in receiving yards, and is also just one of four with a receiving touchdown, along with uh, Brian Robinson, Alexander Madison, and Bijan Robinson. Then let's take a look at offensive line. Let's start with just the tackles. Pass blocking alone, we have two tackles. I don't know if you knew that. David Bakhtiari ranks number one. Zach Tom ranks seventh. As of right now, I would argue, and I don't know that it's massively debatable, the Packers as of now have the best pair of tackles in football. Now, worth noting, Braxton Jones actually tied David Bakhtiari in pass block grade. That's very good for the Bears to be, I mean, completely blunt about it. Unfortunate, but good for them. Detroit had Penny Sewell and Taylor Decker at 9th and 10th. Both of those are worse than ours, but still, solid group. Minnesota had Brian O'Neill at 11th. The NFC North is not terrible. I mean, the, the Bears' offensive line isn't great, but I think Braxton's decent. We'll see what the rookie can do. But if those two guys pan out, and you have David Bakhtiari and Zach Tom, and you have... Brian O'Neill and Christian Derisaw, and I think Derisaw is actually the better tackle. He just, I mean, he had a, a paltry 74 pass blocking grade. Oh my goodness. And then you have Detroit with Taylor Decker and Penny Sewell. Say what you want about the NFC North, but especially in the three teams not named Chicago, Bears, I, I just, I think it's, it's potentially one of the best offensive line divisions in football. Very, very good. If we look at overall grades, number one, is Brian O'Neill in Minnesota. Number two, Zach Tom. David Bakhtiari ranks sixth. As we move to the interior, it gets a little bit more depressing. Our highest graded interior offensive lineman is Royce Newman. (laughs) So that sucks. I shouldn't say interior. I'm looking at guards specifically. But if we eliminate guys that didn't play very much, our highest is John Runyon, who ranks 22nd. Now, I fully expect he and Josh Myers and Elton Jenkins to all massively improve as pass blockers. They're going to need to because next week we're going to have a little bit of a bigger cricket. If you don't shut up, you hear me? Do you do you hear me? I can't. It's like a freaking beeping uh, smoke alarm. You can't find where that sound comes from. I don't want to hurt a cricket. I don't want to. But, yeah, yeah, whatever. What was I saying? I fully expect the guys on the interior to get better, and they're going to need to because the Falcons have some pretty solid interior guys. So it's going to have to be wake-up time. At center right now, Josh Myers overall is the third lowest-ranked center. He ranks 28th out of 30, ahead of only Lucas Patrick and John Michael Schmitz. 
He right now has the lowest run blocking grade in the entire NFL among centers, ranking 30th out of 30. Dude has got to figure that out, man. It, it's just, listen, I, I think my opinion of Josh Myers is changing rapidly only because for some reason I'm, I'm having watched that really starting to embrace this, this new team that we have and really just not wanting to settle. And Josh Myers feels like settling at this point. I mean, if he can be one of a, to a top three pass blocker, great. Then I, I will ignore the run blocking to some degree. Not this much, though. Not a 40. Not, not worst run blocker in, in the entire freaking NFL. Not doing that. But, I mean, I, I, I just feel like I want to unleash Gutekunst and be like, just get us some freaking dogs, man. Like, we got Jair. We got Rashawn. We got Quay looks like a stud. We got Devondre. We got Razul, who's looking just like he's out of control, and Devontae Wyatt's looking good, and Kenny's feeling good, and Rashawn is just one of the best absolute pass rushers in football, and Preston is solid, and Kingsley, and, and Wooden, and Carl Brooks, and we got Bakhtiari, and we got Zach Tom, and Christian Watson looks like a stud, and Romeo's just really starting to, to emerge, and you know maybe Jordan is going to be something special. Like, I, I just... If you can get your hands on an elite, like Corey Lindsley type guy, just do it. Draft him, free agency. I don't want to have to do it, but I'm I just I'm just ready to dominate. I'm 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 happy to be good, but I'm starting to get greedy. A week ago I wanted good. Today I want to dominate. I want to be the Philadelphia Eagles. I want to have the best offensive line that just not only is an elite pass-blocking group that nobody can touch the quarterback, which is what Philly and Green Bay have, but Philly also has road graders. Those running backs don't have to do anything. They're doing somersaults down the field and not getting touched. They're doing freaking cartwheels. Just stuff the football in their pants and start doing cartwheels. Nobody touches them. It's, and, and, and again, the great thing is we're young and it's early. So for now... We'll find out who's good, and we'll deal with, with good. And we'll find out who's okay, and we'll deal with okay. But as the money starts to free up, which it's going to start doing next year, as some of, uh, some of this money comes off the books, and as we have likely two first-round picks next year, assuming quarterback is not one of them, which at this point I think the, the odds of that are almost zero, even if Jordan Love continues to play like this, where it's like, meh, and we end up losing some games because it's not like, well, yeah, he wasn't perfect, but he was kind of perfect in critical situations like third, fourth down in red zone. I still don't think you replace the quarterback. Unless you have an open path, like the Jets somehow end up with like a top five pick. Then maybe we can discuss it. But let's just assume that's not going to happen. I'm ready to be freaking great. And not just great because we have Aaron Rodgers, which is the way it's been for a long time. Like, we're great because we have Rodgers and a couple other people. Like, we got a good offensive line and a great wide receiver. Defense is a little suspect, and the special teams is a joke, and... You know, but whatever. But we got Rodgers and we could be... Dude, I just... I, I just... I want to build a powerhouse. And and this is one of the most impressive teams we've had in a while. I mean, we've had it for a while. We, we had an impressive team back in 2020 as well. Keep doing it, though. That's the point. Like, I, I just... I'm, I'm just... I'm going to become one of these Gutekunst haters who's like, this isn't good enough. This Nothing's good enough. I demand perfect across the offensive line. <laughs> I'm becoming... I'm getting greedy, man. I am. I'll try to keep perspective as I get greedy and, and not, you know, overreact because the, the, you know, GM doesn't draft perfectly as nobody does. But, you know, it's just, it's changing my opinion of guys like Meyer. I'm 100% fine with him being on the team. Starting next year, though, I just, the sentimentalism has got to go. Josiah DeGuara, I'm sorry. I, I, I love Josiah. I believed in Josiah. It's just, I'm, I'm, 
I'm I'm over it. And if Kraft ain't it, get go get you a Mercedes. Get you that dominant compliment to Luke Musgrave. Start drafting interior guys. We never do that. If you can get like first round, second round, probably not first round, but you know, earlier swings like we did with Elton Jenkins and Josh Myers, I guess, which didn't maybe isn't gonna pan out. But let's let's just let's just be awesome. Let's be freaking awesome. I don't know why I have to say that as though that isn't the goal every year, but I'm just saying. I'm excited for it because I think we got so many good pieces, but let's just get better. Let's just keep getting better. It's one of the perks of having a guy that just seems to have a pretty decent hit rate in the draft. Oh, and by the way, he stacks tons of picks, which I don't think is a coincidence because I think that's how you do well in the draft. It has more to do with get as many picks as you possibly can and less to do with it doesn't matter how many picks, just dominate those picks because nobody's going to dominate the picks because it's all just freaking Vegas gambling out there. You don't know what you're picking. You don't know what you're doing. Anyways, uh... Defense. Along the defensive line, actually a lot of, you got to remember, defense has dominated offenses this week, so it's hard to crack into uh, top spots here. But right now, Devontae Wyatt is the 12th highest graded defensive tackle with his 82.5. We have four defensive tackles in the 90s and and one at an 89.8. You have David Anyamata in Atlanta, unfortunately, who we have to face. You have Jonathan Allen in Washington. You have Grover Stewart in Indy. You have Jalen Carter in Philadelphia. Good Lord, that guy. I mean, Wyatt and Carter both. And then DeForest Buckner. Um, That's two of the top three in Indy, so that was a good day for them. Kenny Clark is currently 26th. Hilariously, you know who the top two players are in pressures? Jalen Carter and Devontae Wyatt. Technically, Grady Jarrett's in there, too. Frickin' Atlanta. Jarrett and Anyamata are are next in line. They're both Atlanta guys. But right now, (laughs) Devontae Wyatt is uh, second with six pressures. Colby Wooden is tied for seventh with four pressures, along with Kenny Clark. You got Carl Brooks in here tied for 17th with his three pressures. Packers, there's, there's just a lot of Packers in here. And then if you look at sacks, only two interior guys and remember this isn't everybody this is just interior guys only two guys had two sacks uh osa odigizua in dallas and Devonte wyatt that's it edge also really tough to crack right now preston smith is our highest graded edge rusher he ranks 30th there are basically seven guys in the 90s uh danico autry in tennessee Max Crosby, Miles Garrett, Zadarius Smith, Dennis Gardeck, whoa, that's a fluke, Durance Armstrong, and TJ Watt with a, basically a 95. Linebackers even. Quay Walker had a 92.1. He ranks fifth. That's how insane defenses were this week. He ranks fifth. Zaire Franklin at a 92.1. Durance Armstrong. Oh, wait, I still got edge up here. I'm sorry. He ranks third. Zaire Franklin and EJ Speed are ahead of him. Dude had a 92.1 and can't even have the best of the week. At corner right now, again, a lot of really good grades. Three guys in the 90s, Tyson Campbell, Stephon Gilmore, and Tavier Thomas. Going to be a lot of outliers that are going to eventually fall off and the cream will rise to the crop. But Razul Douglas ranks 14th. Can you cool it with the texting right now? It's actually a nice little cluster. Razul Douglas 14th, Jair 21st, and Carrington Valentine 23rd. I mean, Valentine, I don't know how much we can necessarily put into that. This is overall grade, by the way. But if we do put some stock into that, and I I really, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I probably shouldn't overreact. I, I shouldn't overreact to Keyshawn. He's not usually that bad. He'll probably bounce back. And I shouldn't overreact to Carrington. And plus, I don't even know who would play in the slot if, if we did elevate Carrington. However, if we had three top 25 corners, 
I don't even care if our best is 14th. That's stupid. And then at safety, we got Darnell Savage ranked 25th. There were two guys in the 90s, Grant Delpit and Jesse Bates. Both of those are fantastic. Jesse Bates is a Atlanta Falcon. A lot of Falcons friggin' dominating, which is not great. Rudy Ford currently ranks 63rd out of 77, which even with that, both safeties, I think, are improved over what we had last year, which would have been probably like 76th and 73rd if we were to compare what happened last year. So I'm going to take that as a win. Oh, by the way, just backing up a little bit, uh, coverage grades for the corners, Carrington 28th, Jair 17th, and Razul 11th. Uh, looking at our kickers, Anders Carlson right now is the third highest graded kicker with a 69.9 grade. He has made five for five on extra points. So um, he is the only kicker. He is at 100% and has made five extra points. Four is the next highest. I guess that's what happens when you score a billion touchdowns. I don't know. And then is, uh, you know, one for one on a 50-yard field goal, which there were, um, let's see, one, two, there were eight that made 50-yard field goals. Only seven were undefeated from 50 yards. Jake Elliott in Philadelphia was the only one that was two for two on 50-yard field goals. Graham Gano for the Giants, 0 for 2. Sucks to be you. I shouldn't talk trash. (laughs) We still got to, like, play it cool with Anders Carlson. But, again, fantastic day. Highest graded kick returner in the NFL right now, Jaden Reed with his 71.6 grade. He is the highest graded punt returner and overall returner in the NFL. Anyways, you crazy party animals, I should probably get out of here. I think tomorrow we will begin the whole laughing at the enemy debacle. That should be fun. You guys have a good rest of your night. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.